Welcome back to episode 10 of Through Our Lens. Um, I am Rebecca Burry, the, a digital teaching and learning coach in Iredale State School Schools and a doctoral candidate at Appalachian Ooh. State, along with Kimberly Nava Eggett. I am based out of Asheville. I'm the digital lead teacher and um, work in a K-5 elementary school. I'm also a doctoral candidate with Rebecca. And we have a special night. We do. <laughs> our, one of our committee members, Dr. Amy Cheney, is joining us and we're so excited to have her um, on with us. And we're just going to kind of chat with her, um, you know, let her introduce herself and just kind of tell us kind of just the journey of, you know, her doctorate work. And, you know, we'll start with there and then we'll go to the next phase. Where it takes us. Yeah. Okay. Hi, um, I'm Amy Cheney. I'm the Director of Digital Teaching and Learning for the College of Education at App State, where these two lovely women are working on their dissertations at this time. I'm actually an alumna of the program that they're currently in, so we can probably share some backstories from back in the day when all this was very different than it is now. Um, as far as how I landed there, I was never, ever, 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 ever going to be a teacher. You could not make me. No way. My mom retired as a school librarian. My dad retired as a school principal. My mom's mom, her sister, both my great aunt, both sisters. I mean, just everybody, everybody in the whole family was in education. And I was like, nope, absolutely not going to do it. And majored in English, which is one of those degrees that you can do everything or nothing with and ended up working in technology training briefly. Um, and then in advertising, and then my mom calls one day and says, you know, they have this program at Wake Forest where if you get into it, you can get your teacher certification and they pay for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could just go do that and you'd have a backup plan. I'm like, and I did it and I got in. Had the worst student teaching experience ever doubled down on the, I will never ever teach ever, no matter what thing and ended up working in restaurants while I was in grad school, much to my family's chagrin. And then the restaurant closed and interim teaching position came open. And now I'm a year and a half away from being eligible to retire. <laughs> that never did not hold, did not hold. Um, so I taught high school English and then I ended up as the very first technology director for a rural school system in Western North Carolina, which was quite an adventure. Um, and it was during that time at the central office, I decided to work on my doctorate. And I had a wonderful superintendent at the time. Nothing was online back in the stone ages when I did mine. So I would leave my job at the central office every day at two o'clock, drive to Boone, take classes and drive home. About a three hour round trip um, for the entire length of the program. I must've really loved these people. Uh, and of course, we didn't have a concentration in instructional technology mm -hmm. at that point. Um, and so I kind of cobbled one together that didn't end up getting full that, but that's what it was anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I finished all my coursework and then I got a job as the CTO for an urban district in the central part of North Carolina. So I became ABD for a while. Oh. Yeah, I, I waited about three years between finishing coursework and actually getting on with it. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Didn't I? Yeah. And then decided at some point I should probably go ahead before I became ABD for real. Um, so 
managed to take care of that. And it was wonderful. And I don't think either of you were around when Dick Rydell, one of the co-founders of the Instructional Tech Program at App, was here. He was my mentor, took classes with him when I got my Instructional Tech facilitation back in the late 90s. Um, he was my chair. And immediately after saying, congratulations, Dr. Cheney, and the internal happy dance that ensued, he looked at me sideways and said, have you ever thought about higher ed? <laughs> and I had never, ever thought about working in higher ed. I'd been a practitioner at that point for, you know, going on 13 years in K-12 environments. Um, but then somehow they suckered me into being an adjunct for the online courses when they started. And then suddenly my circumstances changed. Here I worked as a CTO for a great big school district, almost 50 buildings at that point, And I became pregnant with my first and realized that being on call 24 seven was probably not going to be ideal. Mm -hmm. So at that point, another person, one of the other co-founders of the program, John Tajner said, so we have a position open. And I was living in South Charlotte at the time. And I said, I'll do it, but I don't want to have to move. And he said, all righty then. So I interviewed and landed and have been here now for 15 plus years. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Love hearing people's backstories. They're so great. I it also is. know now why also you remind us that that seven-year clock started in 2018. <laughs> yes. Well, and particularly with a major life circumstance change or a move like I did, I moved two hours away from the place that I'd been living and took on a much larger set of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I it just sort of disappeared into the back of my head. And then I'm like, huh, looking at my watch. I got three years left. Today would be a good day. So Wow. And I'll tell a story. I can't, I'm telling this out loud. Our current doctoral director knows it and he just shakes his head at me. So I went on a quest at that point to do two things. I wanted to do the shortest possible dissertation and I wanted to see if I could do it never stepping foot in a library. <laughs> Which See, all of these things interweave and I'm like, of course, of course. <laughs> We are like, of course, this all makes sense because it's, it's like, if it's not offered, we'll figure it out how it is offered. Like it may not be an instructional technology con doctorate concentration, but we will weave it to be one. It will not be a doctorate program that has co-dissertations, but we will make a case for one. Um, so all this is like making sense to me. And I love the challenge of the smallest because um, I don't know if you've heard Kimberly and I's uh, misconception of, well, mine was really bad of when you defend your, defend at the end, um, Kimberly was focused all on the number of pages because we were told like an average number of pages. And at the time we were like thinking in papers of 10 and 15, maybe 20. But I think it, what was the number that they had? No, said? I remember our first semester of doctorate coursework, not the concentration, just like officially right. in the doctorate program, they were like, your dissertation, that it will be about a 275 page paper. And I just remember <laughs> going, nope. they didn't lead with that. Like, how come I didn't know this information? <laughs> I might have, I might have questioned this. Somebody said that, really? Yeah. yeah. Someone said I to us. One of the guys in my cohort wrote one that was 300 pages and we all thought he was insane. <laughs> Maybe yeah, he was the one speaking. Bananas to me at the time. 
I mean, yeah, now he's, now he's now the dean of a college of education, so maybe he was onto something. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think mine ended up being under ninety, including references and all the jazz. Yeah, but I was just in the office the other day where they have them all on display, and I think I've lost my title. Oh no! Yeah, which makes me sad. But you know, after this many years, it's not surprising that someone outdid me in brevity. Dang it! <laughs> but did they step foot in a library? This is a good question. Yeah. You know, now it's it's pretty easy to do these things without stepping foot in a library. Oh yeah. Um, it was a little more difficult back in 2004, 2005, which was when I was actually in the program, but I managed. Yeah. <laughs> Mine is that I can't get away with just this Chromebook this whole time because so far, pull it off. Yeah. We, you should be able to. Yeah. We found limitations, but she's we been doing some limitations, but yeah, it I'm was like, buy a whole new device. Yeah, it was maybe a whole semester in, we figured out that Kimberly can't see when people in Zoom drop files. Oh, that is one of the limitations, yes. Because people were dropping files, didn't even know it, and she's like, hey, so I think I'm missing some files. Oh, so we figured that out. You know, we improvised. Um, I've been fine this whole time. But yeah, and I thought a dissertation defense was the committee was our cheerleading group that would help us like defend in front of an auditorium full of professors. So, you know, she's worried about pages. I'm worried about going to the gauntlet of defending my work through hundreds of <laughs> upstate professors. I don't even know. I don't even know. Her. Mine was just a perception in my head. No one said anything about that. I was just like, I've got to find our committee. That's going to be our that's going to be our people to get me through this, you know, gauntlet of dissertation thing they keep talking about. So that was fun. <laughs> so I hope you know better now about what your defense yes. is actually going to be like. Okay. Yes. The reassuring thing I have now too is, well, not only like our committee is a nurturing group of people, you know, their, their, their whole focus is to how to guide us to get us through to the end, but like, we're not being set up for failure to walk into that defense, which I think that is such a misconception is that you're defending, it's a defense. So it means that, you know, you have a possibility of losing or something. And so- Theoretically you do, but that doesn't happen. Right. And I think that has helped me feel more at ease with the whole process is just knowing that you all are our cheerleaders throughout this whole thing and during our defense, but there's prizes at the defense because you will have been with us through the whole journey and um, helped us refine that a little bit better by the time we get to defending. Absolutely. I mean, there really should not be many of any surprises at your defense. Um, the ones in which I participated have been all about clarification. Um, and generally those questions won't be surprises. Of course, at that point, you've also got the, the doctoral program director who may not have talked with you per se about that. So there might be some questions coming from him. Mm -hmm. um, you will not be in front of an auditorium of professors. I'm sorry if that burst your bubble, but no, no. <laughs> um, you might have a few interested parties show up, perhaps some of your compatriots in the program, perhaps an instructor or two and whatever family or friends you choose to bring with you. But the room is generally um, not standing room only. So I, I wouldn't worry about that at all. Yeah, and, and I hope we can still do the Zoom 
it was kind of a modification that was done for the pandemic, but I have colleagues that have been so supportive that are like, I I can see your defense. That's really sweet that you're saying that, but also it speaks to how we are doing this whole process anyways. So it would make so much sense for us to just have that as an available option. Well, and that room is certainly set up well for that. So I don't see any reason why that would be a problem. So the other question is, Hearing your story, you know, I, I think it's really awesome to hear the backstory. Also, how you ended up in higher ed and in teaching in general, because that's such a different story than some folks where they're like, no, I knew when I was 18, I was going into teaching, but mainly because I had the North Carolina Teaching Fellows Scholarship that uh, was like, yeah. we'll give you four years if you teach for four years. I was like, definitely going to teach for four years. So I knew at a young age, but I never thought of myself in the tech role. And it just evolved into that um, because it was something that I really enjoyed doing with my fifth graders. And now I'm here sitting here like, what am I saying to myself that I can never imagine myself doing? I can't picture that. And then I might end up doing that thing. So it's that never say never. No. Uh, What was the appeal for joining our committee? Oh, well, that was, that's simple. I, you know, obviously worked with both of you before in coursework. I knew that you would be doing some really amazing work. And of course, the appeal of doing something new and different was there as well. This, this co-dissertation process and the paper approach as opposed to the, the big thing. Um, you know, I think that one of the strengths that instructional tech folks can bring wherever we spread our joy is a different approach. And the impetus to kind of push people to think about things differently and do things differently with some of the, the tools and structures and pedagogy that we have and we know um, we, we're pretty well positioned to say, hey, let's do something different and see how it goes. Um, so I, I really like that about it. Yeah, and, and so think, far, haven't disappointed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think what's what's been eye-opening for me is in the K-12 world, it's always be innovative, be different, change, like show us something new and different. And when we started talking about a co-dissertation, it was like, whoa, higher ed, wait a minute, that's different, that's new, that's not the same. And I'm like, but we're supposed to be new and different. So it was, to me, it was kind of the meeting of the two worlds. And I was like, oh, wow, these are kind of different. But um but yeah, I have to tell you, my favorite class in the master's program was, I, I forget the fancy name, so excuse me, but it was about cyber law. Like I lived oh, yeah. for that class that you taught because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to find out some law and we're going to read some stuff. Like I like it was like me watching my murder mysteries or my 2020s, like <laughs> the tech version. Oh my gosh. Like I lived for that weekly. I was like, I'm ready for it. But um. Because, you know, I, like, woo, 2012, I think, when I started the program. But, you know, and just keeping in touch with you, you know, at NC Ties and different mm-hmm. things. Because I, you know, I will not forget coming up to you at NC Ties going, okay, I think I'm ready to hear about the doctorate thing you were talking about, but I'm just not sure. And, you know, because I kept <laughs> thinking. so funny. Because yeah. I went up to her at the NC Ties table and I was like, I need to know when this is happening because I'm ready to sign up. <laughs> You told me this thing was going to happen. I'm ready to go. It might have been like five minutes apart. Like we yeah, could have met, Kimberly. We could have met. You know. <laughs> um, if so, we're never telling. That would spoil the magic. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
you know, I just, I just remember going, I think I might, I don't know, but you know, and you know, when it came time to like committee, it was just like, oh, definitely Dr. Cheney. Like, I, like I, I knew what you would bring to the table for us. Um, and it was part of that instructional tech. And it's one of those things where, like you said, it's a meshing of all things. It's a, like an integrating of tech and curriculum and all together. And it, like, it's just like our people. Cause I've always said, it's my people. Like they get me, they, mm-hmm. I can nerd out and geek out, but I can also talk about curriculum and education and I'm still understood. So it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. that balance. And that's what I like that you bring to our committee is that instructional tech part, because sometimes it's hard to find our people, especially when Kimberly and I are like our only tech people in the doc program per se, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So we like really get excited when we like know we have a room full of like techie nerds that we can nerd out with. So, well, and that's one of the great things about conferences like that one is you are surrounded by thousands of your people. Um, and, and it can be, be overwhelming. <laughs> yes, it can. We're going to be live again this year, barring any sort of strange mutant virus strains, but which will be wonderful. Uh, but, you know, I've always had this, this sort of pet theory about those of us who end up in instructional tech and it, it changes as time goes on. But one of the things I noticed early on, like I said, I majored in English. I taught English and I just ended up being a tech person because it interested me, much like you were talking about. Um, I noticed as I got into higher ed, how many people that I encountered or knew along the way around the country who were former English teachers Hmm. and some history people. And I, I, I begin to suspect that people who end up in this line of work, maybe people who end up as school librarians as well are really generalists at heart. I mean, we, we got our favorites. We got our thing that drew us in, be it a grade level challenge or a subject matter. But we're always, we're probably the people who are always walking down the hall to our colleagues going, hey, you're doing this and I'm doing this. So could we do this together? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, can, can we make those cross-curricular connections? Can we share resources? Can we really build something new and different? Um, and I think that's probably a hallmark of a lot of people who've ended up in this line of work is that you, you want, you look at it all. You're like, no, I'm not just English. I want to do some science in English and let's do some tech with the science in English. Where's the media coordinator? You know, let's bring everybody. Um, and and that, that's part of the joy of it is rethinking some of these divides that exist in curricular spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back when we, of course, write our program for those of you who haven't heard used to be in uh, immersive 3D environments and was for a very long time. We currently don't have one for a number of reasons, but one of the joys of that was pulling our colleagues from the department, from school administration, from library science, in on projects together. Um, In that course that Rebecca mentioned, the tech policy and law, one of the projects was a, a website challenge, like a banned book challenge, where one group was the crazy parents and one group was the crazy school people. (laughs) And there were times when we were able to pull our library science colleagues in with that and have the school administration students be the school board so that they would be the policy experts and do that all together in a 3D space at the same time. That's hard as I'll get out to replicate in face-to-face environments. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that kind of fun stuff that tech enables. Right. It's funny today, um, our district level team of all these instructional technology facilitators for our district met. And we're trying to, right now, it still feels like we're in this triage mode of support, you know, 
there's there's still a pandemic happening and there's still a lot of yes. shifting and um, teachers having a hard time having their feet under them. It's, it's just a really hard year in general. And we were trying to decide like, what is our goal for the next three months? What's our goal for the next year? Yep. What's our goal for the next three years? And with things shifting so much, um, one of the comments that one of a colleague, a colleague of mine made was like, you know, we're not always tech, you know, so we're, we're hands-on, we're, you know, makerspace, we're really like innovation coaches. And I really love that idea. It scares us a little bit because we're afraid, you know, in the midst of budget conversations that that sounds fluffy, you know, yes. I mean, who needs an innovation coach when we really just need somebody to hand out iPads, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, when people think yeah. about logistics, but, um, I do see that. I see that, that we are a group of people that are constantly trying to try new things and um, innovate, which I feel is what we're doing during our, in our co-dissertation. I feel like it just fits perfectly well of us trying to navigate some newness. Well, it is, you know, when I was teaching school, I would watch some people, um, I was teaching high school, some really, really fabulous instructors. I remember one woman with whom I worked who had a notebook, a big, like five, six, how big do they make those binder things? I don't even know, but it was huge. Um, and she had her notebook for what she did every day during the span of her class. And I couldn't fault her because she's an amazing teacher, but I looked at that notebook and just wanted to cringe and run away because the thought of being static in what I would do even tomorrow, much less next month or next year is appalling. So yeah, I think you're, you're on the right track there. It's, it's you know, people in, in doing this kind of work are those who are always looking for ways to do better, be better, teach better, do better for our students, no matter whether they're the littles or the bigs, um, trying to, to keep the game changing. Mm -hmm. And I like how you define that because that makes a lot of sense because uh, I was told early on in my career that I had a shelf life of three to four years. And I was like, what does that even mean? I don't even know because I taught third grade for two years and then I taught first grade for four years and then I taught second grade. And then I went to the tech lab and the past eight years being in the tech lab, it was kind of redefined as STEM. So it might've changed like a little bit in there, mm -hmm. but I found myself feeling like that teacher of, I've got these great lessons. Now we're doing super cool stuff. We're 3d printing. We've got robots, we've got coding, we've got typing, we've got all the things going on, but I found myself going, I'm going through the motions because I've done the same lessons for the same years. I'd tweak it a little bit. Some of the kids would get upset because I would I would get tired of doing, you know, um, moon rovers with 3D printing and I'd change it to robots. And they're like, but I've been looking forward to the moon rover. I'm like, I'm bored with that. I take a year off of that. You know, mm -hmm. but I found in myself that I needed that extra challenge, like something different, something new. And I think, I think it speaks to us as practitioners as being able to evolve and understand that education can't be static it can't stay like we can't do the same thing like if even if we have the best lesson ever for this year in five years it's already out of date it's we need something different we need something new and being able to move like that it, you know it it gets people out of their comfort zones um I'm really big into quotes and I saw this quote like before we came on Kimberly knows I love quotes um it says growth is painful change is painful 
but nothing is as painful as staying stuck somewhere you don't belong. Mm. And, and when you were saying that, I was like, wow, like being innovative, that's what being innovative is, is understanding that you can't be in this one spot because you have to be ever moving and changing and pulling tech into that. And especially right now is, you know, having people understand that technology, yes, is a tool. It doesn't replace teachers. It doesn't take the, like, because you hand a student an iPad doesn't mean that their test score is going to go through the roof. It's a tool to use in learning. So, you know, and part of our job is being innovative and learning how to use that tool in learning, but it's also other things, like you said, maker spaces and, you know, building things and problem solving. So, you know, that, it makes a lot of sense while we are all together. Well, I think it makes sense as to why crazy people end up in education doctoral programs too. Um, <laughs> because because that, that sort of impetus of always moving forward and stretching yourself mm-hmm. and creating and improvising and innovating and doing more, you know, this a program like this then can open the door for you to be in a position to lead others who are mm-hmm. in the same vein. Um, mm-hmm. And to be at the head of looking at creating visions and strategic plans and managing the change that occurs in organizations as we do move forward. So there, I've explained to you why you signed up for this thing. There you go. <laughs> I guess we should finish at this point. Yeah, I mean, now we know why we signed yeah. up. So Exactly. We, well, you, you know, you said before we came on that you had solved all the problems and had all the answers. Oh. So we <laughs> yes. were just continuing in that vein. Well, I'll tell you, it didn't hit me till last week when I was giving my elevator pitch of what we were doing, because I was explaining like, you know, what Kimberly and I were doing as co-researchers, you know, what our research, you know, what we were hoping our goal to find out of our research and our questions. And it hit me when I said the statement, as you know, research moves change. So what we're doing is we're doing this research and I went, oh my gosh, we're doing the change. And I like, (laughs) luckily I was talking to some colleagues that I had, that I had taught with prior and they were like, are you all right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just realized the words that I'm going to write, the things that Kimberly and I talk about, the change that we want to make, you know, that we've been looking forward to doing, because we've been figuring out what is this leadership part? What is this tech part? I'm like, we're doing the change thing. Like, you know, these are things that could change. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing the thing. And of course they were just like, yes. And I'm like, okay, back to what I was, <laughs> but, but it just hit me like, oh, we're doing this research that drives change, whether it be, you know, in the school district I'm working in or the school district Kimberly's working in or North Carolina or, you know, wherever it may be. I'm like, wow, we're like at that point where we're taking all the tools that we've learned and putting them together to, you know, put some sustenance behind what we think the change needs to be and where we need to go. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those like, oh, wow, we're, that's where we are. Not only are you being the change and researching and driving change, particularly, you know, in your own environments or those that are local to you. But in academia, you can also sort of think about the fact that you're helping others drive change because as people read your published work and they cite it and their work is distributed, uh, then it's almost a a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really fun to watch. Oh man, I can't even like conceptualize actually being cited for my work. 
That seems so I know. Cool. I was like, excited. So not there right now. <laughs> but, you know, I couldn't either. And then, you know, like colleagues at App and I did a paper, gosh, a long time ago. I think it was 2008. And I'm still getting citation notes popping up on Google wow. from that. So, and that, that's just fun. That's cool. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. And you, you will. Know, I, yeah. Well, and I think it's also, at least in my situation, you know, our district is um, evaluating their budget and it's for the first time. Well, not this has happened before, but positions like mine get reevaluated. It's when it's when people that make financial decisions all of a sudden want to know what I do. You know, and so this is where that I have the potential to make some real change based on the things I'm going to write, because our whole question is about how a coach can be utilized in order to support a teacher's shift towards an asset-based lens in the classroom. And yeah, it's going to talk about tech, but this is really, you know, me as a coach and my teacher hat and how to help shift a teacher and how I'm going to be directly impacting students. And that's exciting. I mean, there's times where Rebecca and I are texting each other because we're like, we just finished an interview. We're doing the thing, like <laughs> the thing happening, you know, instead of just some assignment for a class, you know, it, it feels a little more tangible right now. Well, you know, and there are parallels too, parallels and, and timely things that you can use. You know, people seem, people hear the term literacy coach and just seem to have like a, a fundamental inherent understanding of what that person mm -hmm. is, right? They, they teach kids to read. They help teachers teach kids to read. You say technology coach, and that picture is not as clear. Mm -hmm. they, are they teaching them how to do word processing? Well, no. Um, so, mm -hmm. well, and in, for many years, you know, I've, I've been in this particular line of work in North Carolina almost since it started being a thing. Um, for many years, people would be classified as instructional technology facilitators and be stuck in a computer lab all day long teaching computer skills um with no interaction with teachers with media with anyone um that may still exist in some places sadly mm -hmm. enough um but i think there is certainly an understanding gap and an education gap that people like you can fill as to what the role of an instructional tech coach really is mm -hmm. uh, and what can happen when those collaborations are happening on an ongoing basis and the change it can make for the students um mm -hmm. Because, you know, when Kimberly and I were talking, we were like, all right, our main thing is students. Like, yeah. Our main thing is providing an equitable environment for them to learn. And how can we do that? And, you know, one of the teachers that I was speaking to this past week is, you know, we were talking about asset-based and she had never heard that. And I was like, well, that's okay. Because it was the whole teacher thing of, oh, I haven't heard that. Should I have heard that? Was that in a memo? Was that in a training? Did I, did I miss it? You know, that whole panic. I'm like, right. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. It's coming. Like, I just need to know where you are with it. And we were talking about, you know, let's look at the things that the kids can do they're interested in. And she was like, well, duh, if you say technology, like they're like, I'm there for it. What do we need to do with it? So, you know, I told her, I was like, yeah, that's the fun part of my job is there is tech involved. There is, you know, the robots and the 3D printing and those things, but there's also the curriculum piece, which, you know, it's, it's integrating those together. And, you know, she's, she's like, I'm just excited. She goes, I'm just excited. I'm going to learn more about everything. And I'm like, well, I don't know about everything, but <laughs> I can tell you it's about tech. <laughs> Well, and we have a long way to go. Um, you know, we, we learned a lot of lessons in the last year and a half or so of this emergency remote stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
that could be another 18,000 podcasts. But um, one of my big takeaways is I've been working for the last year with our inclusive excellence coordinator in the College of Education to think very intentionally about the use of technology in, to promote equity and inclusivity um, and really reach diverse learners. Um, and there are all sorts of possibilities. But as we think about things like really needing our instructional materials to be multimodal, for example, that's very hard to do without a backing of technology, mm -hmm. if not impossible. Um, if we think about giving learners choice in the way that they express what they have learned, um, the technology's gotta be a part of that. I mean, yes, we, we, Patrick and I joke about, yes, do an interpretive dance and I still wanna see it, but, um, you know, there are so many different ways in which technology can be utilized for learner, be it artistic or musical or narrative, whatever it is, they can use these tools. So as we really start thinking more explicitly about creating learning environments that are equitable for all of our learners, we can't do that without technology. Absolutely. This past week, I had the opportunity to work with our second grade um, classrooms to do green screen videos and it's the first yeah. time I've done green screen in like two years and I had to remember wait what's that green screen app again I had to relearn all this really quickly um, and it all works really great still which is great <laughs> um, but they were doing weather reports and so they had these cute little drawings that were behind them as they pretended to be a meteorologist and one student um, that was in one of the classes is very limited English speaking. I happened to be a Spanish speaker and I sat, I let him stay last. So nobody else was around. And I was like, do you want to just do yours in Spanish? And he was like, yeah, like, I don't yeah. know. if I don't know if he was told he had to do it in English. I don't even was really supposed to do. He kept watching what was happening. But I was like, do you want to just record it in Spanish? You can just do it in Spanish and then I'll translate it and give you the subtitles for your classmates to read in English. But that, my position of privilege allowed for that kid to be seen yeah. and felt welcome. And he was super excited. And that very brief moment of he and I getting to work together, I built that relationship of trust. But I also was able to notice um, his own limitations in Spanish, which is good information for me to then give to his ELL teacher. Like he doesn't know days of the week in Spanish. And it's because he didn't do any schooling and had only like a handful of months in kindergarten before we were all remote. And so it's interesting. These particular students have to have gone through the pandemic and what what their needs are to support them, but yet the assets they still bring to the table that need to be elevated in order to help them meet whatever other standards and criteria they need to, to keep moving on. So I was really happy to see how precious he was in that video. He was pretty excited. I bet. I'm just now learning Spanish. So maybe you could send it to me so I can like see if I can understand it. I'm on Duolingo trying to figure things out in hopes that I can retire somewhere. So. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Okay. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's just, there's just so much to do. And, you know, if you think about the role of instructional coaches in 
BK through forever now. One of the things we know is that this is not the last time we're going to go emergency remote. Right. No. Yeah. And nobody wants to have that kind of reactive word we all hate pivot um, and and have to be bringing people along who've never thought about these tools. You know, I'm I'm really encouraging everyone with whom I work to go ahead and set everything up in, in their learning management system. So if a kid has to be out and there's no reason that has to be just COVID, if a kid has to be out, if a kid has right. an illness or a, something goes on with their family, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to access instructional materials mm-hmm. and connect with their teacher and their classmates. The tools are there. Um, so I think what all of us are hoping is that that stuff would just kind of stick around. And I'm seeing that watching my own kids. I'm seeing that in places. And then I'm seeing people are like, nope, I'm done with campus. Yep. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, it's wigging me out because last year I could see everything that was going on and harass right. appropriately. And now for some of their teachers, I can't see anything. And I'm having a panic attack. I'm like, what, what's happening here? <laughs> I know. Like, I enjoy being able to see what my daughter's doing. That way we can have a conversation. So when I say, what'd you learn today? I don't know, some stuff. And I'm like, actually, in math, you were learning surface area of a composite figure. And now you're on to ratios. Like, I love being able to see it because mm-hmm. I can ask for things. Or when you get the whole, when am I going to use this? Well, when we're making pumpkin seeds, you know, this past weekend, and I said, please don't let mom burn the pumpkin seeds like I have done every fall ever. <laughs> because the things you have to pay attention to them and I'm just not that focused with pump with baking in general so there was a ratio for every half a cup of pumpkin seeds you put two cups of water and one tablespoon I said look at there look at those ratios and of course she's rolling her eyes going teacher mom you know you're like you are blessed child you are blessed in all my business (laughs) but I was like what if we had five pumpkins how much water do you think we'd need and she was like but we have one pumpkin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> the fun parts mom but, I don't want to do math don't make me do math ah. like, oh, and then I should have been like let's write a story about it I, no <laughs> let's let's do a digital book here's the camera go find some things that are symbolic of pumpkin seeds and fall yes <laughs> oh gosh well I guess you know the last part of the segment we use for like wrapping up like what we're doing in the moment um yes I would love to share with you that Kimberly and I are like these two type A++ people. Mm-hmm. And you would think like we would over like overlap each other sometimes the things that we would do, like we do the same thing at the same time. But we have this like wonderful relationship of she understands when my brain is freaking out because her brain's <laughs> freaking out. And she does this wonderful organization of things. And then we come together and like, we're both like healed. Like she has organized things. And I'll tell you what happened this past week. We were feeling the, the data collection. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not the best of feelings because it's, it's different. Like we haven't really had to do that as much in our program. Mm-hmm. You know, as, like literature reviews, we're getting articles and stuff like that. That's normal for us. Like the writing part, normal for us. But having to go out and collect data and make sure that we're following our IRB, which we are. So if we have any IRB reviewers listening, we are following it. To the <laughs> and we even check back in with Patrick. Like, I think we're driving him nuts because we're like, it didn't say that, but did it say this? Is that okay? And he's like, yes. <laughs> um, so any Very much better to err on the side of caution when it comes absolutely. to IRB. So. 
Yes, and and we are. So, you know, it's that whole like, you know, we know we're doing the thing, but are we going to get the thing done on the timeline, which is very ambitious timeline, we know, but we're going to graduate in 2022, whether it's the spring or the fall, just to be seen, but it's happening. The thing's happening. So Kimberly put together, she organized all of our things into a manageable folders. And I'm going to tell you, like when she did it and we talked on Saturday, I was like, oh, look at us go. And she gave me some advice to, um, cause this past week, like I have dealt with shingles, which is caused on by stress, which oh, I have no idea. Why are we, we, are, we have no stress in our life. You're not old enough for shingles. I know. And it's in my hair and on my face, but oh, gosh. so we met on Saturday and she said, do the acknowledgement page. It'll, it'll be great. And I'm like, all right, you know, so you know, I got like, we finished and football was on and I was like, you know, I'm just going to do this acknowledgement page. Cause you know, Kimberly said it'd be easy thing to do. So I log in and I read what she wrote and I'm like, Oh, I can't, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to write mine. So I started the first sentence with about my parents and I was like, Whew, yep. She said, I'd feel the tears. So I feel it like, Whew, I can feel it. And then, you know, I was thanking my husband because he's had to deal with the whiny me, which normally people don't see. But I'm going to tell you, like, if you're a doc student, you're going to have those nights where you are going to cry. And then you're going to say, why did I ever do this? I'm never going to get finished with this. I can't like the whole I can't. And he's like, we paid the bill for this semester. So you are going to do this <laughs> next semester. We can reevaluate. Now, he, he's always encouraged me. But I got to the part about my daughter. Oh my gosh. And I don't even know if I can talk about it now, but I had to stop because I thought that is my driving force is, is letting her know as a female that she has the opportunity to do anything and be anything she wants to be. Because I've always felt like when I've entered the room as you know, a female in technology, it's, well, she's instructional technology because she's been a teacher, but I've always wanted to be like, I can enter this room because I like tech and I've studied tech and I know like how to bring the things together. So I, you know, and when I wrote that part of I'm doing this so you can be anything you want to be, see, I'm going to get checked up. I was like, oh my goodness. And I was like, it was like the weight of, you know, the nights where you felt like you couldn't write anymore or the things you push through and you know it's not just for her but it's for like Kimberly said those students that feel like they're not seen or feel like they're less than someone else because someone else understands something faster than them or better than them or you know they just need it in you know in a different language or a different way and I was like oh man so that was fun to do it was really like enlightening to do but I was like man I gotta get back to the literature review because these like <laughs> I was like these tears are coming man I gotta get back to like normal stuff but but it was really nice so Kimberly thank you for organizing that because it was oh. so nice to see you know our chapters as they're going to unfold and our reflections and you know the places that we're going and the, the things that we're doing but um so I have to say organization is key mm -hmm. and you know and having Kimberly to do that, I was like, oh, that just put like all the stress and the shingles just went away, Kimberly. They just went away. <laughs> um, and, you but, know, I feel like you and I both have felt 
a little burnt out right now. Like mm-hmm. we are having the hardest time writing right now. I, I well, maybe I'm speaking my truth, but I no. think that, that's and that's why I was like, let's do some fun writing because that'll help us feel like we're still, we're still productively doing something towards the end goal and also remind ourselves as to the why to kind of get ourselves back to refocus. But And let's not forget to take a day or a weekend off from the writing and the thinking about it. I know that's hard, but you, we're, you know, we've got so many external factors right now that have it all, have us all just frying our brains in every direction we can think of. You've added a layer of stress to that, which is eventually going to pay off for you, but you cannot ignore letting your brain rest for a little while. You just can't because you will burn out. Yes. So don't. Take it down. It felt real this past weekend, I think. But us checking in with each other was also really helpful. And honestly, I'm really grateful we're doing a co-dissertation because this is isolating work as co-dissertation writers. And I can't, I don't want to think about what that process is for folks that are just like doing it on their own and not have somebody that really get, because I mean, I could talk to my partner about this, but they really don't get it the same way. They're not in it, right? I'll just say this. If you find yourself crying while you're writing your methods section, please let me know. We're going to have an intervention. Okay, great. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Because that could be coming. (laughs) Uh, Yes. No tears during methods. Methods is straight. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that feels really nebulous right now. And I think it's because that's, we're not supposed to think about that. Well, not think about that, like writing it quite yet. Um, Right because we're collecting said data right mm-hmm. now. Um, but you're already doing methods. You're already doing your target populations, your ends, your, you know, you're already thinking about the ways you're going to process that data. So it's still running around in your head, even if you're right. not writing it right now. Right, 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 right. Um, and the other thing that is hard for us type A folks is the um, depending upon other people for said data. Yes. And so we are having to co-teach or work with other people and their lives are just as tapped out and so it's really hard to be like hey do you you want to do that meeting I know you've had five this week do you do you still want to meet you know um but I actually need this information like it really depends upon me collecting this data so (laughs) this is that's a stressor that I'm trying to find a balance with right now um but that's where we're at um the highs and the lows for sure Mm -hmm. um But your impetus to refocus on the whys was yes. absolutely right. That, that that gives you motivation to keep going. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, do we acknowledge each other in our acknowledgement? Can we even do that? Like, of course. Do it's your acknowledgement. Yeah. Do we do that? You you can acknowledge your pet turtle in your acknowledgements if you want to. You yeah. you can just yeah. <laughs> we should do that. We should acknowledge like, each other. <laughs> I know. It's like, you know, it, it's kind of like that. Thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Um, you hang up first. But, but Kimberly's right. Like part of this, like the part of the, us knowing that the co-dissertation was what would be most beneficial for us is having two of us in it together. Yeah. And, you know, the perception sometimes when I uh, say I'm doing a co-dissertation I think people think, oh, half the work. Yep. No, mm-hmm. it's not half the work. It's working together. And I'll, I'm really specific when I say that. I'm like, 
it's it's two people doing the whole thing but together like together and you know having because anytime you have a team of people they come together with different things they bring different things to the table Mm -hmm. and if we were isolated like we were in QEs which is very uncomfortable we're isolated and you know it's just my thinking and what I'm building upon and I didn't reach out and use my resources then it's just me and there would be lots of things lost in what we're doing if it was just one of us or the other, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it'd still be great work, but it, it, there would be a lot lost that, you know, I, I just, it'd be totally different. Um, yep. And we could have done the same problem statements and the same, but it would have been absolutely different not having us mm-hmm. together. And, you know, whatever we do, you know, post-program, we're going to be doing work with other people. Um, And like you said, part of being instructional tech is we like to find the people like, come do this with me, come do this with me. Oh, you have that, like bring in, you know, and being innovative. So, you know, I'm very excited that, you know, you took the chance to be part of our committee and, you know, and that app state is, you know, the grad program is like, all right, like what, you know, we still want to keep in touch and see how y'all are doing, but mm-hmm. you know, that, that, cause that was, to me, that was huge for, you know, the, the graduate school to be like, all right, we are on board with this and the doctorate program to be like, all right. And then to have a committee of people going, yeah, we'll be part of this too. Like, this is different. Um, because like I said earlier, it seems to be higher ed's like, wait, that's different. That's not the same. What are we doing? So, so but that's encouraging. So I'm so glad that we had time to kind of, you know, peel back Dr. Cheney and meet like <laughs> what makes Dr. Cheney tick? Cause I think it's funny that you were like, I am not being a teacher. I love that. Yeah. I love knowing that. I also love knowing the ADD because that's a real thing. And mm-hmm. um, it's hard to you know, I just see you as Dr. Amy Janine, like you, mm-hmm. you did the thing, but I don't, I don't know any, I didn't know about what it took to get there. And I think that's really valuable information for folks like myself to know. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you for having me tonight. This has been fun. Yeah, we appreciate your time. Um, we're excited that you're part of the 10th episode. And we have one more committee member that's going to be joining us next time. And we also hope to interview members of our cohort, um, part of our like QE um, accountability group. So we hope to have that on the docket for later in the semester as well. So that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That one will be quite interesting because our cohort (laughs) has been known as the cohort that burns things down and not physically burn things down, but- We find things that are not right in education or whatever. And we're like, that's it. Let's redo, redo. And then we found out later on that it was a lot of work if you burn things down and build it from the ground. So now we're like, we're remodeling this section today. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right. Well, thanks again for your time. And yeah, thanks for tuning in. (laughs) 